I know we just got done praying. Would you pray with me briefly once more? Just ask for God's help to receive his word well. Father, please speak clearly to us and gently to us. You know how frail we are. You know our frame is weak. You know how easily distracted we can be, how easily tired we get. Lord, thank you for how you speak to us through your word. We submit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. The situation in Ukraine has already been mentioned several times this morning between the prayer meeting and our service here, and I I wouldn't pretend that I understand all the complexities of it, but I do read the news headlines. Most days, I'll, uh, on my one of my news apps on my phone, I'll just kind of see what's going on to keep in tune with things generally, and saw a headline this morning, school bombed in Ukraine, in Ukrainian city, Russian military bombed an art school where about 400 people had taken refuge in the port city of Mariupol, did I pronounce it correctly? Local authorities said the school's building was destroyed and people could remain under the rubble. Mariupol is a strategic port and it's been under bombardment for at least three weeks and has become a symbol of the horror of Russia's war in Ukraine. That's just pretty exemplary. It's, it's a sample of the kind of headlines that we're seeing all the time now. Uh, you can check it later today, and that will already be washed down the news feed by four or five more headlines of updates of things going on there and other things going on around the world. Clearly, we have not achieved peace on earth yet as the human race. We have not achieved world peace yet. I think that there's the evidence is in, I think we can say that with, with pretty much certainty. It's something that human beings have longed for forever. Uh, Miss America pageant contestants have wished for it for years. Organizations work toward it, but we can't seem to get a hold of it. Now today, our passage, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 9, is going to remind us that As elusive as it has been, God has promised it. God has promised peace. He has promised world peace, peace on earth. And our passage is going to describe it. We're back in Isaiah just for this Sunday and next Sunday. We left off the passage before what we're going to read today back in the summer of 2020 when we were still meeting outside. I actually listened to the last sermon to just kind of get myself back into the headspace of Isaiah, and you could hear all the cicadas and everything screaming and someone mowing their lawn in the background. That's when we were last here. God's people were about to experience war. Their sin had triggered God's judgment, and God was going to use a more powerful nation to correct his people. He was going, in this case, he's talking about Assyria. Assyria was huge and way stronger than God's people were at this time, and it almost would look like Russia swallowing up Ukraine. Like, it was a daunting threat that they faced, and it was going to happen, and Isaiah was telling them it's, it's going to happen and why it's going to happen. Through the process, both nations would be destroyed and would look like a forest that had been cut down. Everything that had grown among these nations would be cut down, and it would look like stumps, is the imagery the Bible gives. But there was hope. And he said, out of the stump of Judah, out of the stump of my people, will grow a green shoot. In time, you may have seen like a tree that has been chopped down, and then you see like a new tree start to spring up from the stump. That's what he's talking about. A new tree will sprout from the remnant of my people that I will leave. And this this shoot or this branch 
will be a leader who would come one day, a coming Savior King that would come and he would be the perfect leader. The Spirit of God would be upon him, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge, the Spirit of the fear of God would be upon this branch from the stump of Jesse. That's the language that Isaiah used. This coming leader would judge and decide and lead his people with the deep, perfect wisdom of God himself. And he would be known for righteousness and faithfulness. Now, we know this to be referring to the Messiah, this Savior King, is Jesus Christ. That's the passage that we read right before the passage where we're going to begin now. He died for our sins once for all, the sins that triggered judgment upon God's people here. Jesus Christ has now paid for once and for all for us. That's why we don't have to worry about his judgment coming in that way toward us because we're in Jesus. He was raised from the dead to rule his newly created people for for all time. And it's his, what he accomplished and what he is bringing about in his kingdom is the process that will lead to the peace that we all long for in the world. We're already a part of that process just by virtue of being his people. Now we're going to return to Isaiah here in verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 11. Jesus one day is going to return, and he's going to bring about the completion of this project of renewing God's creation in a new people. And here we're going to read just a brief description of what things will be like when he does come to complete it. Let's start at verse 6. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion, and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. Now, have you ever been at the zoo, and you go to the lion habitat, and you know you can't because it would kill you, but don't you wish you'd go out and just kind of give it a big hug and tussle its ears like you do a pet dog and mess with his mane? Like, he looks cuddly. It looks like a teddy bear. You know you can't go out there. You know that he would maul you to death immediately. Well, it seems as though one day you might be able to do that. Predator and prey will live together in harmony, welcoming one another warmly. Wolves in the fields with lambs, leopards snuggling with little baby goats. Are you picturing it? Little calves frolicking around with full-grown adult lions playing. And little kids sort of leading it all, taking care of these animals. Just get, let that vision sort of get established in your mind. We'll keep reading in verse 7. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. So this kind of explains how predator and prey can hang out together so peacefully if now all the carnivores are herbivores, all eating the same things, not each other. It seems like the reign of this righteous branch that we read about back in the summer of 2020 in verses 1 through 5, is going to return things sort of the way maybe it was in Eden. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 30 says, after God created everything, he said, to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. So maybe all these animals before the fall, didn't eat each other, and they ate plants, and then it's going to be like that again one day, it sounds like. Let's keep reading in verse 8. 
The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. Okay, now we've gone too far. All this seemed cute and cuddly, but leave the snakes out of it. Uh, even, Even if they're not a threat, we don't want snakes around our babies. I, snakes hold a unique terror for most people. They trigger a unique response when you see it. If you see down in the leaves something that even looks like a snake, you get the response. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to play in the woods and around our creeks a lot, completely unsupervised, uh, reckless parenting from my mom and dad. And uh, there would be you know, bridges passing over the creek, and underneath those bridges, if you've ever gone under there, there's these steel girders. And you can use your hands and kind of shimmy across over the creek on these steel girders. I know all of you have done this, right? This is common. Well, we used to do this, and I used to do this. And one time I was doing that, and I put my hand down on what at least felt exactly like a snake up there. And I've never let go of something that fast. And I have never cared less about a fall back first into a creek than that moment. And I've never gotten out of a creek as fast as I did that day. Snakes are terrifying. Richard really enjoys snakes. Richard's had some good experiences. If y'all remember, Richard got bit by a copperhead some years ago, and it's really dangerous, and praise God that he's okay. It starts doing immediate tissue damage, that venom. Well, here it seems that when the Messiah, the long-awaited Savior King, comes, all these threats will be neutralized, including venomous snakes to where we'll gladly let our toddlers play around a known snake den. Cobra hole, don't worry about it. Yes, you can set up and play with your toys right there. Now, let's pause here at the end of verse 8 and kind of put together what we've seen so far. Predator and prey living together, wolves and lambs out in the field, carnivores acting like herbivores, lions and oxen eating the same stuff, babies and snakes hanging out together, and everybody feels good about it. Babies and Cobras. That seems like a good band name. It just occurred to me. Somebody write that one down. It begs the question, why are we talking about any of this? If you think about the flow of thought in the book of Isaiah, and even the flow of thought leading into this sermon, I mean, I began with a horrifying news article about Ukraine, and we're talking about peace. Why are we talking about all this zoological peace? I mean, if you follow the train of thought in Isaiah, and I'm sure you you probably don't remember it. It was back years ago now. But he was telling through the prophet Isaiah, his people, Assyria is going to come. They're going to invade your land and conquer you and destroy everything. But God's going to chop down Assyria like lumberjack chopping down trees. And God is going to leave a remnant of your people. And from that remnant is going to come a savior king that's going to be the perfect ruler and make everything right. What's coming next after these verses is a description of how this Savior King is going to lead people from all the nations and the the future destiny of God's nation here. Why in the middle of that is there this, by the way, all the animals are going to get along great in the future? Why is there this scene from Zootopia right in the middle of this passage? Well, I mean, I think it's true. I mean, God's word is true, and you can stand on it. And there's other scriptures that that weigh in on these matters, even related to how God's creation and animal life will interact. But I don't think that's the point. 
here God's people are sheltering, and they know coming catastrophe is, is looming. The Assyrian shadow is cold over them, the whole land. They are not concerned about how wolves and lambs are getting along. That is not what they're thinking about. And so I don't think that that is the ultimate point of this passage. I think, I believe, what God is getting at here in the whole flow of chapter 11 is that there will come a day when God's people, under the leadership of their Savior King, Jesus Christ, will be completely safe. Completely safe. Totally safe. Utterly, finally, eternally, absolutely safe. Without any need to fear any threat. Israel was a small, vulnerable nation compared to the big, powerful nations all around them. Compared to Assyria and Babylon, they were like lambs alongside wolves, calves alongside lions, children alongside cobras. And note that the animals here, they're not just prey, they're little baby prey. It's not cows, it's calves. It's not sheep, it's lambs. Everything is meant to emphasize the absolute vulnerability of one compared to the deadliness of the other. But the security and safety of complete and total peace was coming. And God's people about to enter into this extremely dangerous, destructive, horrible time were given this hope on the front end. It's not always going to be like this. One day the Savior King is going to come and he's going to set everything right. And you and, and all of my people will be 100% safe. 100% safe. Now let's read on into verse 9. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Everything under God's jurisdiction, everything in God's presence would be at peace. No more hurting, no more destroying. That will all be stuff from the past. Now why and how? It all hinges on that word for in the second half of that verse. For, because, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Mankind... We have deepened our knowledge and expanded our knowledge in all kinds of areas. Uh, we, we know more about medicine and technology. We're more knowledgeable about the arts, human rights, engineering, diplomacy, military tactics, all these things. But it has not led to world peace. It's only made us more powerful. But that power still leads to wars and conflict and trouble. We're still dangerous. The vulnerable are still at risk. Because the only hope for peace on earth isn't knowledge in general, it's knowledge of the Lord. That's the only knowledge that will lead to the peace that we all long for and crave. Where there is no knowledge of the Lord, there is no peace. We know that among nations and communities and within families. Uh, we've been reminded a lot lately just within family units, where there is no knowledge of the Lord, people destroy each other and people destroy themselves. But where there is the knowledge of the Lord, there is peace. One day, just like the sea is full of water, the whole earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. This is part of the promise that we wait for when the Savior King Jesus Christ returns, that he'll complete this renewal project. And the whole earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. And then, when everyone knows him, when everyone 
who is left is reconciled to him and loves him and obeys him, when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, then and only then will there be peace on earth. That is when there will be world peace. In the meantime, we, like Judah here, we brace ourselves, and we keep waiting for him, and we keep looking to him, and we keep pointing others to him. Every disturbing news headline, like what I read at the beginning, points us to know him better. Makes us want to dedicate ourselves to helping other people know him better. Point others publicly. In in all the inevitable conversations about the war that will come up, it loosens our lips to tell others to look to Jesus because he is the only ultimate hope for peace in this world. Now, I'll close with a familiar illustration because I know I've used it a lot. It's old and worn out, um, but that's because it's good, I think. We're like kids in a classroom, and our teacher's written instructions on the board and said, I have to step out for a minute, but I'll be back. And this time with the teacher out of the classroom stretches on, and during this stretching on time, people are restless. Kids get rowdy. The bullies activate. They feel there are no repercussions. There's no accountability. They pick on the weaker ones. People start to cause trouble, and here we sit. What do we do? How do, how do we live during this time between when the teacher has left and when he's going to return? Well, we obey the instructions on the board. We do our part right. Where possible, we stand up for the weak ones. Where possible, we stand up to the bullies. But we're never hoping in ourselves as the ultimate solution, and we're not hoping in our classmates as the ultimate peace. We're looking at the door knowing that the teacher is going to walk back through any minute. And he's the one who's going to establish peace in this classroom. That is our hope in a world that is so restless and so at war with itself. We are part of the process of peace already as God's people. And we know where it can be found. And this is a great opportunity for us as Christians to point other people to it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us this ancient word through the prophet Isaiah. Thank you for recording it. Thank you for canonizing it in Scripture. Thank you for bringing it in front of us today. Lord, help us to receive it in such a way that it resonates and sticks with us so that we will feel stabilized by it, hopeful, aware of where this is all headed. And we pray for those who are in the the most intense suffering right now in this world that is at war. Lord, would you sustain them and draw them to yourself? And would you help your Christians, us, and our brothers and sisters around the world to stay faithful to Jesus Christ while we wait for his return? And please strengthen your people. In Jesus' name, amen.